Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. Now, normally we try to do a podcast two, three times a week, although you probably would have noticed already that during the coronavirus lockdown, we've only been doing one episode a week. We hope to change that soon. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But the best way to keep up to date with the latest podcast episodes is to subscribe. And while you're there, why not drop us a review? It really does help other people who might enjoy the podcast find us. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and we are joined by yet another very special guest. We're joined by ex-Chiefs fullback, Phil Dolman. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. A little bit hot and bothered. Great, Great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. Excited. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably a well, busy time for you. Busy than it has been the last few months, isn't it? You're, you're back in training. How yeah. have you found lockdown, first of all? Um, it's actually been quite nice actually spending a lot of time with the family. Um, yeah, we're lucky here. We've got a bit like nice, nice spot. We live a little bit out in the country, so there's plenty to see and do. Um, and you know, obviously it was a real strange feeling to start with kind of just going from training every day to just complete stopping that. Um, and it took a while to get into a bit of a routine, but I think, you know, once we did with the homeschooling with the girls and. Um, I got into a little bit of a routine training wise, kind of getting out and doing some bits makes you feel a bit better about yourself. Um, and then kind of as, as we got into it, you could kind of see the, in the distance, the possibility of getting back to it was, was encouraging. And that kind of kept me going, kept me training anyway, kept me doing some bit, little bits in the garden, little bits running out, out in the roads and in the fields. So I've, you know, I've enjoyed the the family time, but obviously missed, missed kind of, seeing all the lads getting the training, so quite happy to get back at it. I can't, I can't remember how sudden it was in terms of the Premiership. Because I remember obviously the Wales-Scotland game, that was literally 24 hours beforehand, and then it all you know ground to a halt. We were still potting around in Cardiff thinking the game was going to be on on the Friday, and it was off on the Saturday, and then you know suddenly yeah. the next few days you're in lockdown. Was How sudden was it in terms of the Premiership fixtures? I can't quite remember. I think we had... Cool. That's how bad my memory is. I think we had a weekend off. Um, so we had a rest week anyway, that week before lockdown. And then as that week kind of went through, it, it started coming out that it looks like we're going to be in lockdown because we, we managed to get away to um, Disneyland Paris with the, with the kids for the weekend. Um, and it was as quiet as quite as a mouse there. It was, it was strange, you know, as everywhere was starting to lock down and we were kind of starting to worry about whether or not we can get back to, to England or get a flight back. And we're starting to get a bit sketchy, but yeah, luckily we got back. And I think that literally it locked down a couple of days after we got back. So it was pretty sudden. Um, I think a few, yeah. So we would have had an extra week really where we weren't in the club before lockdown as well. So it's, um, it was pretty sudden, like you say, it stopped everything in its tracks. Uh, I think um, I'm not sure if we were changing into a different competition, or I think maybe there's a Premiership game. I think uh, coming up, um, we might have had Sale or Leicester or something coming up, but that's how bad my memory is. <laughs> and then, how, how are you finding the sort of the measures in training at the minute? Uh, I mean, you just staged, moved on to stage two. Yeah, what, what does that involve altogether? Well, that for me, my understanding of it is we're still kind of in bubbles or training bubbles. So it's a bit, bit of a bigger bubble. Um, and then you're kind of, you're allowed to do controlled contacts 
um, which again is all kind of bad pad, sorry, pad based stuff at the moment. Um, and then you're limited time wise. I think it's kind of 75 minute pitch sessions, 75 minute in the gym or an hour in the gym, I think. So it's kind of, it's just a progression of where we were. We were kind of doing little bits of gym stuff, but everything was based outside. Whereas we were doing kind of fitness running in real small groups of four and fives. Um, now that's just progressed to probably what we're at now, maybe groups of 10 to 15, I think. Um, so it's just a progression. I think that starts where we've gone, gone to week one. I think that kind of is quite a big progression from the start of stage two to the end of stage two, when you kind of get into full, full team activities then. And then the next step is into games. That's the way I see it. So it's gone, it's gone quite well. You know, we're getting tested um, weekly, every Monday, which is interesting experience. Some boys really struggle with it. It's not the, not the nicest thing in the world, getting a few uh, long swabs up your nose and throat. Um, but it's actually, you know, getting a ball, ball in hand and doing some little bits of rugby is, is fun again. You know, you get to enjoy that. So um, I'm sure the coaches have been absolutely busting to get back and do some, do some coaching. So we felt the wrath of them a little bit. I guess it is like having another preseason now, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, coaches, it is. I imagine they love it. They do love it. Um, and like you said, you know, it's the longest anyone, well, everyone you speak to really, it's the longest we've had break from rugby, everyone. Um, so everyone's kind of chomping at the bit to get back at it. Um, it's a, it is a weird one. It's kind of got that preseason feel to it, but it's a shorter, shorter kind of term preseason. So, probably not going to get through that early stage of the preseason where you get a lot of running and conditioning in you've got to kind of fast forward throughout a little bit and, and get as much rugby in as possible because that's going to come quite thick and fast and you know there's a heavy schedule ahead and just i suppose you know going back to the measures just how alien is it you know i guess the rugby is the respite but when you're having to sort of maintain your distance and going through all that testing i imagine parts of the training ground are off limits yeah I'd say the majority of it, really. We're kind of split into different changing rooms. There's one-way systems, I think. You kind of, it's all very alien, you know? Those, um, you know, it's always sanitizing gels. There's always, you know, you've got a shower between sessions, changing kit. It's just completely alien, really. And I think we're, we're quite lucky at Sandy Park that we've got everything there, kind of gym, two training pitches. So there's plenty of space. Um, but it's still very strange, you know, you kind of, you know, we're rugby players. When you see each other, you want to kind of give each other a nudge or, you know, shake hands with each other or, you know, and it's, it's just, you've got to kind of try and refrain from that. You've got to try and refrain from wandering around into places where you'd usually go around the club and you just can't, can't access it. Um, you know, and you, got, and, and that's it. You like, you finish training and you're just gone. You, you just leave. There's no hanging around. It's not. You know, you haven't got to, you can't have a chat with the lads, you've got to go. And I think that is, you know, we've been told that, you know, it's, it's, it's really important that we look after how we act as individuals to try and avoid as much as we can the COVID coming into, into the ground or into the squad because they can really disrupt it. Um, so hopefully we can kind of look after that away from the club as well. Was the other the other side of the impact COVID's had on rugby is, is contracts, isn't it? And it, it, it disrupted so many sort of players who were in their final years. You were in your final year, Exeter, but you've 
thankfully yeah. signed a, an extension, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, it's quite nice. I mean, you know, I was really keen to kind of play a few games uh, towards the end of the season. It was going well. Managed to have a couple of games. I was playing well, so I was quite keen on that. Um, but like you say, there's some guys like Nick White and Matt Kvezic, Sam Hill, who have, you know, they haven't had that last hurrah or that goodbye. You know, they've they've gone and joined their new clubs, you know, without kind of seeing the lads. They would have maybe seen them outside of the club, but, you know, usually every year we kind of get that bit of a send-off. Um, everyone kind of says their little bit, their goodbyes, and it's, it's just weird not to get that. And it is a strange situation. Um, but, you know, we're still very lucky that we're, you know, the majority of us fit and healthy and able to move on to bigger and better things, hopefully. I suppose it is nice for you then that you do get to sort of end things at Exeter on your own terms. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, there's what we, uh, four months, four months or so now to the end of season or potential end of season. It's just look at it in, as an enjoying as much of it as I can really because the one thing about um, rugby and being a professional rugby player is that enjoyment of turning up and being with your mates, you know, six days a week five six days a week and and just you know being that camaraderie that group mentality is is great and just really enjoying that so I've got four months you know never know what what can happen in those four months but um yeah I'm certainly kind of looking at other aspects and transitioning transitioning into a different career but um it's 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 a period really that I can kind of just get my teeth stuck into it and 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 enjoy obviously in terms of the, the sort of the layout of the season, it's a strange one in the sense that, I mean, the way the, the fixtures are penciled in at the minute and that could all change, it's sort of premiership first and then you have European rugby to deal with afterwards, which is probably, you know, it's unlike any other sort of setup you've really yeah. seen before, isn't it? I imagine it's, you know, going to be a heavy schedule as well. So there's going to be a lot of games to be had. Um, yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is it's one, it's one, block into a next you just kind of break it down a bit go after that premiership fixtures to start with reassess and you know obviously in the back of your minds people are going to be starting to think about Europe and their big fixtures the quarterfinals of Europe is somewhere that you know the Chiefs and all the players want to be you know and that's going to be in the back of the mind but I think you kind of I think you know for myself as an individual I really want to break that down and you just go probably four or five week blocks right you know how can I look after myself in this how can I contribute to the squad? How can I contribute to the performance on the match day? Um, and then move on to the next four or five week block and, and see where it goes. I think that's something we're really good at with the Chiefs, you know, really breaking that season down because you look you look too far ahead and you'll just start losing games left, right and centre because it's no there's no easy game. You've got to really take it everyone as they can, you know, some real tough fixtures to go. Um, and hopefully we've got, you know, a good squad and we can do that over the next four months, you know, we can kind of rotate those guys that need freshening up or, um, you know, we can deal with little knocks here and there uh, and be in like a strong position to go, then go into Europe and then go into like the knockout stages and, and be in a good position. So, you know, it's looking good. It's still obviously very early days. Because uh, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you look at how football's come back and it is very much placing the emphasis on squad depth and, and how you can manage these sort of uncertain times and you know rugby is, is even greater in that sense because 
you have to manage, you know, the squad in rugby more so at the best of times. So this is going to be yeah. a, an interesting challenge for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the DORs out there are really going to earn this all, aren't they? It's, it's a, it's, you know, I, I don't envy them. It's a, it's a tough, tough role. I mean, we've, we've, from my experience, I think we've been pretty good at using the squad over the last few years, and we've been lucky to have a deep squad. Um, you know, I, I can't speak for other clubs, but I think you know we can, we can in places replace quality with quality, and I think um, that surely gives us a, starts us in a good position, and, and we got to try and maintain that, maintain performance, maintain quality. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you see in football those the top teams who have had it's a bit of a bit of bigger golf really in football, isn't it? There's masses of difference in money in football. You know, those top squads have got quality, you know, they could put two out, two quality 11s out, whereas in rugby you really get that, you know, and I think we're, we're, we're pretty close to that. So I'd be pretty confident of us making a good squad effort at the end of the season. Um, and, you know, those knockout games, then you just got to hope that your performance and, and your form is good enough to, to, to win those. That's that's one of the successes of Exeter, isn't it? Over the last decade or so, is it, just that ability to sort of whoever they bring in to the starting fifteen, they know the job, they know the role, and and it just feels like you are, as you say, replacing quality with quality. Like um, you know, people like Tom on the wing, you know, didn't make it in Welsh rugby, but you know, look look at what he's done in in the Premiership. Yeah, yeah I mean, is he, I've said it a few times. It's real quality coaching obviously which helps there's a massive influence em- emphasis sorry on like you said knowing your roles knowing what the chiefs are about and what it takes to kind of be in the team and hold your, st- your place in the team people like flats have come in and they've relished that you know they've really taken their opportunity they've bought into everything and it's kind of you know it starts like you say in pre-season so we're having a little mini pre-season now it starts with those early days of just putting the hard work in then you get that understanding, you kind of do your own homework, you do your bits away from the rugby pitch just to make sure that you know what you're doing, you know, your cog in the machine. And if you do that, you'll get rewarded with it. And, you know, if you don't, you soon, you soon quickly, you know, drop away. And I think those guys who really are seen to put in the effort into understanding what it's about to be a chief and, and, to, and to play rugby well for the side, you know, they get their opportunities and they get, um, rewarded with with selection if you know if they're, obviously if they're playing well at the same time and understanding their roles and you know they're in a good place how much of that sort of philosophy starts with rob baxter because well, you were his first signing weren't you back yeah in yeah yeah uh, yeah it goes i think he kind of the first time he kind of stepped into the office as dor there was one dvd there and it was mine so <laughs> he took a look at it and i must have been doing something right so yeah that's long time ago now but um i think yeah rob is you know really is a linchpin in terms of attitude and and um you know that kind of hard work mentality it comes from from the coaches you know, and it's been instilled that was there from 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And they've just built on that. And I think all the coaches that are part of the coaching setup now really work, you know, work their nuts off. They work real hard. Um, and you can see that in their preparation. And then that can, kind of gives us that confidence then to kind of 
you know, back it up and go, right, you know, they're, they're talking about the right things because they've shown it time after time. They're talking about the right things and it's proven. And, you know, Rob and Ali Hifa and Ricky, Rob Hunter, Salves, you know, they, they all kind of really buy into that and they all do their, their hard work and their due, due diligence to make sure that, you know, we, we're getting what they're putting down for us. Just from from the outside looking in, it is clear that Exeter, just like they're, they're a real success story and they've clearly been doing something right for the past decade. Do you ever, is that the impression you get from other people inside rugby? Do you ever get people sort of come up to you and just asking what the secret is? Yeah, I mean, it happens, yeah, a lot. I mean, things, I think, um, you know, when I get asked this, it's kind of, it was never a real sharp, it was, it was a, you know, quite a sharp rise to to where we are now in terms of 10 years but there was just that incremental improvements across the board everyone's you know working to make it better for the next season for the next week for the next month you know and that's kind of starts it I mean I wouldn't have expected to get um you know for us to win what did we win in 2017 I imagine that was probably a little bit before the plan um but it's yeah we do got to pinch yourselves a little bit um, and consider ourselves lucky to have done it the way we've done it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how the club kind of comes out of this scenario, out of COVID, out of, you know, the, the whole, you know, the um, we're talking about reducing salary caps or they, you know, they're talking about in 2021 season. So how the club will deal with that and, and, you know, come out stronger, hopefully from that and, and, and keep its place at kind of top of English rugby. Obviously you mentioned that you were Rob Baxter's first signing. How did it come to be that you ended up signing with Exeter? Obviously you were released by the Dragons, weren't you, after a couple of seasons there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think initially I was I was keen on staying at the Dragons. Um, I played quite a bit in the last year there as well. And I thought I was, you know, that was the first year I'd ever played fullback. And, I thought, you know, I did okay. I wasn't, you know, a polished fullback by any means, but from a centre going to fullback, I thought, I, you know, I added a bit. And, um, you know, by the end of the year, they just said there's, there was nothing there for me. And luckily, I, you know, I just picked up an agent and I hadn't had an agent really, proper agent until probably a year or so before I left the Dragons. So um, he was quite keen to kind of get out and have a look at the market. And there was two options. It was... Well, maybe there might have been three options, which probably would have one of them would have been staying in the Welsh Premiership and playing for you know one of the clubs in there, maybe my old club Bedworth, and um, the other two were Exeter and London Welsh, and it was a bit of a toss up really between those two. But by the time I'd been down to Exeter and saw the facilities and met Rob, that kind of was a turning point, and and that was probably March, I think, um, two thousand and nine. That would be March, yeah, to March 2009. Um, and, you know, I couldn't have been happier with signing for a club like that. And, I, you know, I knew they'd kind of, I think they'd finished second twice in a row and they were a side that was looking to get up into the Premiership and didn't really feel like it was a step backwards, even though it was a league below where, um, I suppose, a professional environment was in Wales and, and was in England. It didn't feel like it was a step back for me as a rugby player. It was a, it was kind of an opportunity for me to get better as a rugby player. So, 
I think we moved down. What, when did we move down? I think literally I had eight days off because I think Dragons played, I was travelling reserve, I think, or bench or travelling reserve for the Dragons versus Treviso match, I think, when they used to have playoffs. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. For, the, for the European Games, uh, for the European Cup the next year. So I had eight days off from that and straight into a pre-season with Exeter. So there wasn't a lot of rest. Did it take much of a sales pitch from Rob Baxter or could you just could you see when you went there which way the club was sort of heading and, and it was something you wanted to be involved in? Uh, yeah, it didn't take too much. I mean, he's pretty good, Rob, in terms of getting you to see what he, what he believes in, you know. Um, I found that over the years. Um, you know, he kind of, he, he, he obviously spoke well of Exeter itself, the town. We had to drive around, we had to look around Exeter, which, certainly something that interested us it's a lovely place and you know I'd never been before never been to Exeter before um, and you know we talked about the club and his vision for the club and Tony Rowe's vision for the club and you know along with the facilities it just seemed like a club that was reaching for something that's you know reaching for the stars you know it was it was going for those big things and and to be part of that or to be, uh, you know, certainly feel a part of that at the beginning was, was something that excited me. And then when you went there, did you, did you think that you'd be in England for the next decade or did you imagine you'd, you'd return to Wales at some point? I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'm kind of, I'm not really one to buy into those kind of three, four, five year plans. I, I kind of just went for it as it was, you know, I had a two year contract, I think. I was just kind of, well, I'm just going to play some rugby and enjoy it. Um, you know, we moved down and we got, we got stuck into the Southwest, you know, seeing plenty of beaches and enjoying the, you know, the Southwest as it, as it was and just started to enjoy playing rugby, um, making improvements. And, you know, I wouldn't, have, I wasn't going down there to say, right, this year we're going to be in the premiership. And if I don't, I'm going to move clubs. It was kind of, I'm, I'm going to commit to Exeter for two years if if things are going really well, I'd stay. I probably would have stayed with them if they were in the Premiership or not. You know, if I was playing well and I was enjoying myself, that was probably the main thing. Um, but luckily, you know, we we went from strength to strength, got straight up into the Premiership, and you know, the rest is history. <laughs> and of course, in in twenty seventeen, yeah, the club won the Premiership. Just just talk me through what that was like. Boss madness, yeah, madness. It was crazy actually that because um, obviously we'd been we'd been there the year before and that was all a bit of a eye-opener for us I think you know certainly for me it was um, and I know it was for a few other guys as well you know it was something we'd never experienced 80,000 people at Twickenham um, with you know the whole build-up to it and the whole preparation and the whole hype behind it it kind of caught us a bit cold Saracens played quite well on the day you know and they beat us but I think if we'd put in a real good performance that day, we would have come, we could have come away with it. Um, and we were just in that in that preparation and in the build up the year after. We were just you know we were ready for it. We were really confident. It was obviously wasps we were playing this time, and we felt like we kind of had the beating of wasps throughout that year. They were a good side, but we felt like we could could quite easily get on top of them. Um, but it was absolute roller coaster of a game. Really, it was. Thinking back to it, I, you know, I probably blocked out a lot of it because of stress, but um, it was mad to think that, you know, so close for so long and only a couple of kicks, you know, kept us kept us apart for 100, 
100 minutes, 100 minutes, I think, or 110 minutes, is it? No, 100 minutes. Um, you know, it was, it, it, was, it was fantastic. You know, the celebrations afterwards were probably the things you remember the most. And um, really enjoyed that. Obviously, a little bit bittersweet for me getting injured, but um, it, was, it was fantastic to get that, get the winner's medal. And at what point had you, was it after or before that you found, found out about the Wales call-up? It was, I think it was, was it the week before? I think it was in the build-up. Um, was it the week before? When I think it was Rob McBride rang and left me a message and I thought it was obviously one of the boys taking the mick. <laughs> you know, it's unrecognised number. You know, it's really Welshy um, uh, accent on him. So I thought, oh, someone's, you know, putting that accent on there. Um but yeah, I could, you know, couldn't believe it. I had the call. I think I was, um, we were in between houses. So we are just moving house and we were living at a friend's house. And I just, I think I answered the call in the bedroom. And I was like, what, what is going on here? You know, I had a conversation with him then and um, turns out it was, it was real. And I'd got the call up and I was obviously really excited, excited to go up and meet with the squad and, you know, get the kit and, um, you know, possibly get a first cap. And, you know, it was something that I was, really excited about but um it, I, I think you know I kind of quickly put that to the back of my mind and concentrate on the on the game um but that kind of as soon as I come off with injury and I kind of the you know dreaded thoughts going through my mind I was like yeah this is no chance I'm gonna be going on tour with this injury felt straight away um, and then it was a few days of kind of trying to find out scan results trying to go for a scan maybe going up to Wales for a scan, maybe staying where we are for a scan, kind of going back and forth between the Wales physios and, and Chiefs physios. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I can just strap it up and carry on. But it was, it was bad, enoughly, uh, bad enough damage to, um, to unfortunately rule me out. So I was disappointed. Did you have any sort of contact with the Wales set up before that call for Norm McBride? Not, not directly. I, I haven't spoken to any of the coaches directly other than Robin. Um, but I think maybe the year before or the year before that, they, I, I might have had like a message or two just saying um, through the coaches at Chiefs that they were looking at my games and interested in the way I'm playing and thinking playing quite well. But um, that never came around. I think, you know, unfortunately for me, Wales have had some pretty good backs over the years. You know, it's quite tough to to break into um, that Wales squad and they've, you know, performed at the highest levels, but um, it was nice to kind of get a little bit of recognition and nice to get the call. Um, but it, obviously I would have loved to have tested myself at that level and seen whether or not I can, um, can achieve it. Uh, but it wasn't to be. And then was there any contact afterwards from, from the, the Welsh management yeah, you ruled out. yeah, there was. Um, just you know, obviously, just saying, you know, really sorry that, that um, this happened, and keep plugging away, and you know, hopefully, see you again soon, maybe at some point, and um, you know, just kind of, just sorry for the injury. You know, there was, you know, it's quite nice to get that call and have to ring me and say, um, but obviously, they needed to replace, get a replacement in. Um, uh, which was nice, you know, it was nice to get that call and nice that they, you know, they're thinking about me, even though I wasn't going to be going on tour. And when you were forced to, to pull out of the tour, did you feel that maybe that was your chance? Um, yeah, I think so. 
I mean, probably in the back of my mind, I would have thought that's probably my last chance. I think, what would I have been at that time? 31, 32, just turned 32. So I think, you know, it's kind of, that was a bit of a last chance saloon. I think, um, obviously as an, as an individual, you think you've got enough quality to keep playing well and, and maybe keep that interest in you. But, um, for me, I think it was just, uh, I, I wanted to, I, I, you know, I had to deal with it and move past it and then kind of crack on and this, you know, pre-season training soon kind of puts that to you back and back of your mind. And we were quick, quite quickly into that and rehabbing the knee and, and kind of getting on with the next thing. Um, but, you know, it might be something I look back on in years to come and, you know, maybe a few glasses of wine and shed a tear about, but I don't think it's, it's affected me too much. Yeah, I was going to ask how, how do you sort of look back on, on that? Um, did you have to book, was, did you have a holiday booked? That's, <laughs> yeah, always, that's, the, right, uh, that's yeah. always the the peril, isn't it? Yeah, what do we have? I had a, oh, that's right. I had a, uh, we had a holiday booked and Laura said, my wife said to me, um, shall we cancel it um, as soon as I got the call? I said, well, look, just just wait to see what happens this week, this week, all right, because you never know. And just leave it there and we can cancel it a little bit later. You know, I think it was a couple of days after the final that the holiday was booked for. And luckily we didn't because then I still managed to get away. And luckily, the, you know, the Chiefs were kind enough to just say, look, yeah, go away, enjoy yourself for... Uh, 10 days I was in a knee brace so I was kind of doing little bits of rehab and stuff like that so um that was nice that kind of took my mind off it a little bit as well you know spending time with the family and getting that rest and recuperation is, is always key at the end of a rugby season you know you need those two weeks away um and yeah yeah luckily it didn't cancel because that would have been a double blow I think <laughs> losing out on money and losing out on holiday and then losing out on tour so yeah, I seem to recall reading on the BBC that when you took the call from um, McBride about the call up, that you were wearing just a towel. I don't know whether that's true. That that could just be the BBC. Um, I think it might have been. You know, I think I definitely picked up my phone. Whether I'd, I'd be, I might have been in the ice bath. I <laughs> went back to my spot in the on the change rooms and picked up my phone, and there was a missed call. So I listened to it and there wouldn't have been a few of us left. I think it was like Stina was in there. Maybe the team manager, Tony Walker was in there. Whether I was in a towel, it's not the greatest sight in the world, me in a towel, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. I, I, I might have been in a towel. There's a good chance. Maybe I was, um, had the towel and I was whipping a few of the lads. I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you watch the games? When- I watched a couple of them. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I'm trying to think, was I away? I think we would have been on holiday maybe for one for the first game, I think. One of them was soaked, wasn't it? Wasn't it rain? Uh, like so, yes, rain? it was Samoa, wasn't it? It was just yeah. in Apia. It's just a mad, yeah. Um, and I remember the game where uh, uh, Corey... Al. Yeah, got... Yeah, he got, got hammered, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, cool, that could have been that could have been me. <laughs> I don't think I could have rode it as well. But uh, yeah, no, it's it would have been an enjoyable tour. That you know, some good good rugby sides to play as well. So um, it'd be nice to get down to that part of the world. I've got a few friends down there as well, so that would be nice to link up with them. Maybe 
And was it was it Lions Tour as well? It was. Yeah, it yeah, it was. Because um, the All Blacks played at Eden Park afterwards. The the first game because it was Tonga at Eden Park, wasn't it? That's right. And then the second game was the day before the first test. Yeah, so they might have been able to get some tickets for a couple of those games or something. Yeah, because I, I I went out as a fan for the Lions Tour. Yeah. So I, I can't remember the, the Wales Samoa game because I just arrived in Auckland, so I was jet lagged. So I think uh, I, right. I slept. I think I slept through the whole of it. But um, yeah, t- talking about sort of Wales call-ups, yeah, there's so much talk about you know Gatland's law and the sixty cap rule, and you know the Wales coach's emphasis is always you've got to be playing in Wales to sort of. Mm. To, to be sort of in the minds of the Wales coaches but did you feel that was the case for you or, or do you feel that looking at what you've done with Exeter and what Exeter have done as a club and, and the sort of the heights they've been playing at in English and European rugby that that was just always going to be the best place I think so yeah I think for me it would have I think it definitely brought my game on um, and whether if I'd stayed in Wales you know I'm sure there's plenty of good coaches in Wales and they could have developed me as a player but certainly for me my experience I don't think I could have been much better player um, than what I've managed to get to because of the coaching I received down here and the, the atmosphere and the environment it is. It kind of got the most out of me as a rugby player. So I think it's, it has been a good place for me. And I think the fact that we feel comfortable and enjoying ourselves down here also adds to that. I mean, you know, but being back in Wales would have been lovely with all the family there. Um, but then, you know, might have got a little bit more comfortable um, and, and not being so, you know, not concentrated so much on the rugby. Um, I th- it's, it's a difficult one. I think, you know, England have it similar, don't they? You know, if you're playing out in France, you're not going to get selected for England. I think it is, it is theoretically a good rule because you want your home, your home league to be strong. You want it as strong as possible. So that's got to involve as many of your internationals as possible. Um, and, you know, and I suppose from the international point of view, they want to kind of keep a little bit of control on their athletes as well. You know, they want to have a bit of input, whereas when they go off to France or further afield, you know, you, you lose that control a little bit, then you? There's always an argument, you know, you sometimes got to leave the leave the nest avenue to sort of yeah experience new things. You know, you, you've seen that with yeah. yourself, and, and there's a few other Welsh boys who have probably benefited leaving Wales. Yeah, I think we've had a few. You know, we had a few come down to the Chiefs. So you, you know, Tom James has come down. And he's done really well. You know, he was playing some fantastic rugby when he came down to us, um, and you know, thoroughly enjoyed being down here with a few other Welsh lads as well. So it's like. It's it's it is a tough league. It's a competitive league. You know, you see Dan Bigger doing really well at, at Saints, um, and you know, for me, I think the league itself is is I think is stronger, um, and the fact that there is promotion and relegation, I'm slightly biased in that. You know, because we got promoted, but I think the fact that it's got promotion and relegation really kind of adds to that. There, it, every game counts, um, which from my experience in in the in the um, Celtic League, or was it? It's a Rabo now, isn't it? Rabo uh, Pro Fourteen. Guinness, Pro Fourteen now. God, I'm behind Can't the times now. Um, <laughs> you know that that the fact that there is no relegation is kind of you lose that little bit of intensity towards the end of the season. I think, um, 
I remember being part of squads going out to Munster and playing against a full strength Munster and we had an average age of 20, 21 in the squad and you know it's, it's a great place to learn your rugby but as a, as a spectacle you're not quite getting the same I don't think it's the same forms the same quality on the pitch yeah, I mean they only they only brought in sort of meritoc like qualification for Europe in the last few years before it was yeah. automatic yeah and that made a big difference at the end of the season but like yeah, yeah. as you say relegation which is is, a, is another step forward isn't it in yeah. terms of adding obviously it's, it's a bit difficult because you know clubs sorry regions and um, yeah. professional and outfits from different countries so how do you, you you couldn't really do the relegation but um, I think it's one of the strengths of the English league um, you know and obviously they're looking at maybe ring fencing it and I'd probably be a little bit against that and I know there's other reasons for you know financial stability and all that kind of stuff but for me as a rugby sport I'd, I'd like to see relegation stay but um, it has, as a tough as you know there's a lot of things to be considered before that happens indeed we could be could be on a global season next year couldn't we, we uh, yeah yeah well that'd be a bit different playing rugby over the summer would be a bit strange and I've missed it out missed out on it really I've been playing all through the winter my whole career uh, we touched upon at sort of the start you know you, you're looking at sort of maybe what the future holds hmm. after rugby yeah what, 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 what sort of a, have you got your eye on at the minute well I mean for me I think um I've I've always um, concentrated on education and coaching and sport and and um, that's kind of been a big part of my career transitioning and my outside of rugby involvement. I've you know tried to do as many qualifications or as many experiences as I can that would lead me down that route. Um, but again, you know, over ten years at, at in in Exeter and in Devon built up a you know good amount of contacts and and a, and a decent network in which I think you know I can put the feelers out into different industries and corporate side of the world and um, that's something that interests me as well I think um, you know there's a few few options that are coming up and it's just whether or not you know I've got to make a few decisions to see where I really want to go in terms of my next step in the career um, because it is a big thing, really, transitioning from rugby. Or it seems to me, I haven't quite done it yet, but it's a big thing on the horizon for me. Um, and I've seen plenty of guys do it successfully. So, you know, I want to try and make a good fist of it as well and, and do it myself quite well. Um, but, you know, I think I, I've, always, I've always, had that, always had that thought of being a teacher. I mean, if I, at university, I nearly did primary school teaching and, um, I've always enjoyed the, you know, coaching and teaching side of things, and um, you know, it'd be nice to do that. There's been a few Welsh boys who've um, in the Premiership over the last few years who've, who've come away with some decent businesses. I mean, Dom Day's got his cannabis uh, CBD oil. <laughs> yeah, Ollie Cone at Harlequins has got his uh, sausages, yeah. his restaurant. Yeah. So, um, I was hoping you're going to provide me oh. with another free because I've had freebies off them over the last few oh, years. Oh, have you? Have you? So I was, I was hoping there's going to be another career that lends well, actually, itself been, to freebies. I've been, I've been involved in a cider, which is uh, which has gone oh, quite well. So we made a cider. <laughs> um, we've got something called Rib Tickler, which is um, we developed with a company called uh, Sanford Orchard. So it's an extra based com- company. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I can send a send a few up for you if you want. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean. 
I seem to enjoy it anyway, but I, you know, again, <laughs> I'm slightly biased, but um, I've definitely converted to a cider drinker since I've been down Southwest and it's good product. I'm sure you like it. I'm, I'm Hereford born. So, uh, Oh yeah. So pretty much, yeah, that's all I drink. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Ideal. And it's your, it's your testimonial year, year as well, isn't it? No, it was last. That was, it was last year, was last it? Last year? Year and a half ago? Yeah, last year. So ben Moon's this year. Ben Moon's testimony this oh, year. God, a few of us have been here, blooming longer than time itself. But um, yes, um, Mooney's into his. That was good fun. I mean, we managed to get a, uh, a crochet side down to play um, in, the, in a game against like my invitational side. So likes of Kerry Sweeney and um, who else was down? Knows some some of the boys I used to play rugby with at Dragons, so Gethin Robinson, Alex Walker, Joe Beerman, uh, call us. So Reese Thomas down here, you know, it was, it was good to see some of those old faces. They all come down Sandy Park. We had a game there, put them up for the night in in Exeter Town Centre, and it was a good a good old bash the night before and the, and the night of the game. So it was. Uh, I imagine it would be with like Kerry Sweeney. Yeah, yeah, it was great fun, great fun. I think last time I spoke to Kerry Sweeney for a podcast, I think it was literally days after he'd been put over the um, the kebab shop. <laughs> By Reese, yeah. He yeah. stuck him over the kebab shop. I, I think I was one of the first to get those, because I'm sure it was my best man that videoed that. <laughs> and I think he kind of... Uh, I'm sure he sent it to me. And by the time, you know, by the time I got to training, everyone had had it, you know, and it was, it was uh, flying around, but... Poor lad, dear me. Yeah, I remember right doing, his, doing his best impression of Colombo, trying to figure out where it originated <laughs> from on WhatsApp, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it was, um, oh, that's a funny video, yeah. Funny, funny video, dear me. That made proper news, didn't it? It made the, made the papers and everything, didn't it? I think that, yeah, the day I rang him to sort out the podcast was the day that someone else at Wales Online had run the story. So I was there like... Oh, God. I was half expecting to slam the phone, his phone down, <laughs> so thankfully he didn't. Um, we managed to get a podcast out of it. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, all worked out in the end. Um, I imagine there's no videos of you getting <laughs> put over. Not that I shops. know of, anyway. Not that I know <laughs> they of. They haven't emerged yet. They'd do well to get me off the counter, really, because I'll be tucking into a kebab, probably sat down already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's been brilliant to speak to you, uh, Phil. Um, hopefully training continues to go well and, and when rugby resumes it'll be yeah. a, a great end to your time at Exeter fingers crossed mate fingers crossed